Okay, well, hello everybody and uh, welcome. Uh, my name's Stephen Lane. I'm the Chief Medical Officer here at Health Gorilla. I'm with Dave Castle, who is our Chief Customer Officer. And uh, we've been here all week talking about TEFCA and uh, the coming changes to the national interoperability framework and the uh, role that uh, Health Gorilla is going to play as a qualified health information network under the new Trusted Exchange Framework and common agreement, or the role that we are intending to play. Um, and, uh, and today, now, we are going to talk about specifically what uh, TEFCA means to the customers of Health Gorilla. And uh, Dave and I actually have been working together for a number of years, uh, focusing on interoperability and nationwide uh, information exchange, uh, initially as part of standing up the current framework under care equality, and now together uh, here at Health Gorilla, uh, helping to stand up the, the trusted exchange framework. And Dave, as chief customer officer, is very focused on how this is going to impact our customers. And as the chief clinical officer, I'm very focused on how it's going to impact clinicians and patients, uh, et cetera. So you want to, anything else by way of introduction? Uh, yeah, no, just uh, happy to be here and, and happy to share some insights. We've been, as, as Stephen said, on uh, a number of, of different panels on sort of the TEFCA speaking circuit, but it's, it's nice to be able to focus specifically on Health Gorilla customers and, and the impact that uh, this is going to have for, for you in uh, a real-world way. So happy to jump into that. I, I think first, before we do that, though, uh, we should probably make sure that there, we've level set on exactly what uh, the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement, or TEFCA for short, is. Um, so, so TEFCA first and foremost is a legal trust framework. It's a set of policies and technical requirements that are embodied within a legally binding structure. Uh, and what that allows folks to do is, is have a basis for trust in the fact that everyone is abiding by the same contractually enforced rules uh, and therefore they know exactly what to expect. You know what the rights and obligations are that you have as a participant, you know what the rights and obligations are of everyone else in the ecosystem, uh, and you can trust that it's all contractually enforced, legally enforced. Um, because it does go beyond what the law states. Uh, you know, the law says a variety of things, obviously, about the exchange of health information and, and more specifically the privacy of health information. But it doesn't get into anything like the, the details of how one actually operationalizes the process of uh, moving data between uh, multiple systems. Uh, so that's where the legal aspects come in. Uh, and ultimately, TEFCA is a, a legal trust framework uh, that allows exchange to occur uh, between a whole variety of otherwise uh, non-connected parties, non-connected in a, a business sense, because everyone has signed on to that, that single legal framework. Uh, and, and obviously, there's more to it than that. And, and I, don't I, think, know if I want to hand I the ball key, over to you. A key point to add to that is, and, and how TEFCA is different than the exchange that we're doing today under the existing care quality framework and all of the national networks, is that the government has gotten more involved. And this really came out of the 21st Century Cures Act, where the the, uh, the Congress heard plenty from the industry about the the advances that we've made in the area of health information interoperability, uh, but also the challenges. Uh, there's, there's been clearly great uptake of this 
for exchange between providers for the treatment purpose. Uh, as a provider, I benefit from this every day in my practice, uh, but I think that there are a lot of other use cases that we haven't been able to move forward uh, based on the voluntary engagement of the community, the community of providers, of payers, of the networks themselves. So the government stepped in through the, the 21st Century Cures Act, established the TEFCA, and now that is rolling itself out year by year as, as we make progress. I, I would, would agree with all of that. I would actually go a little bit of a step further with respect to the government's involvement. Uh, I, I think the, the biggest difference that I see with the TEFCA is that it's truly a unified effort of the private sector and the public sector, united under the same banner, advancing in a sustained way towards the same goal. What we found with the previous efforts was that government tended to hang back. They, they would participate at times in certain ways, but did not fully endorse, did not fully participate, were not really all in because, you know, I'm not in their heads, but I, I think they felt that they, they feared to pick a winner uh, from the private sector. They feared that there would be commercial interests that they were somehow advancing in ways that they didn't fully grasp and understand. Whereas with the TEFCA, coming out of a legislative mandate, being part of rulemaking out of HHS, I think they feel like they are in control of the parameters and therefore it's something that they can trust as well. Uh, the trust actually extends there and I think as you see more and more exchange uh, occurring, more and more actual operations under the TEFCA banner, you will see more and more participation by federal agencies uh, as well in various ways, including for public health, but not, not limited to that. Uh, and, and what that'll do is it'll just be, I think, a virtuous cycle of federal agencies participating, but also incentivizing the exchange, which will just lead to more growth in, in the network. Well, I would say it incentivizing and eventually requiring. I think almost everyone anticipates that this is really where where the interoperability industry is going. The uh, We don't have the graphic here, but many of you have seen the, the TEFCA graphic with the umbrella of the recognized coordinating entity and the QHINs underneath that connecting to participants and sub-participants. And as I like to say, there's, there's gonna be room under the umbrella for everybody. Uh, we'll, all, we'll all be out of the rain together. Uh, so I think that what we wanted to do today was talk through some of the uh, opportunities that the TEFCA provides for customers of Health Gorilla and, and others who connect to the, the, the QHIN framework uh, and participate in TEFCA Exchange. Yeah, and, and I think the, the first and foremost, we, we, we certainly have to, to just go straight to the heart of it, which is the expansion of available use cases and available purposes of use as the, the parlance is uh, in the interoperability world. Right now, we are effectively limited to requests uh, for treatment purposes. And you know our, our our customers are starting to become familiar with the process of of getting on calls with me or with my team, explaining your your use case and and essentially justifying uh, what why you can qualify for for a request that claims to be for the purpose of treatment, and. There are an awful lot of very valid use cases that do not meet that HIPAA definition of treatment, and we're, we're limited in, in how we can serve our customers because of this limitation today. Um, so we're really looking forward to things really opening up and being a lot easier as the additional purposes of use that are, are uh, envisioned for TEFCA become an operational reality. So to, to jump into a little bit more 
detail there. The, um, uh, the first purpose of use beyond treatment that is actually already required for the Tefka ecosystem is individual patient access. Uh, so as a participant in the Tefka ecosystem, you are expected to respond to uh, requests for information for the purpose of patient access. So what that actually means in practice is that as the, the patient is either literally themselves pushing the button, uh, depending on, on the, the actual application experience that they're using, or has approved and has directed uh, another organization to uh, retrieve their records on their behalf, uh, that, that all falls into that category of, of individual access services. And participants in the Tefka ecosystem are required to respond to those requests. Now, there are some, some nuances there in the details uh, around how patient matching occurs, how patient identity is confirmed, that uh, we're, we're still with, with some of the other Canada QHINs working out with the RCE exactly what that's going to look like at a technical level. Uh, and, and so I don't know, Stephen, if you wanted to add any additional color there. Uh, but those, those conversations are underway and they don't change the underlying policy requirement, uh, which is that you are required to respond to the, the individual access requests. I think one thing to add there, Dave, and we haven't highlighted it yet, is the connection between Care Equality, the existing framework, and TEFCA. So within Care Equality, we're also in the process of trying to implement patient queries or patient requests, as it's called there, which are really the, the same thing as the individual access requests under a slightly different name. And, uh, and it, it's really, it's been challenging. It's been challenging to figure out the technology, uh, to figure out the, the, the workflows, and to get everybody on the same page. So while this is a required response from day one, the first when we first initiate Tefka Exchange, I think we're still going to be seeing this ramping up. But these IAS queries really unlock a lot of opportunity. Uh, so many of the queries that people have been wanting to make, wanting to automate, uh, are queries that, that where a patient is involved, whether you're talking about research, uh, whether you're talking about applying for benefits, lots of different situations where there's, there are great opportunities to, to streamline uh, and make what much more efficient these, these patient accesses. So um, after the individual access service and the treatment, which are really going to be the first two use cases, which we hope to actually start to see exchange occurring this calendar year. Uh, the next ones that are coming are payment and healthcare operations, uh, which of course are critical to the functioning of the healthcare system. There's mountains of data being exchanged today very inefficiently. Uh, without the benefits that, that we've seen in the treatment exchange. L literal mountains of paper uh, being exchanged. Paper, faxes, people being forced to log on to someone else's portal and, and fat finger data into their system. It's, it's remarkable and it's so inefficient and so costly for our system. So starting to unlock the payment and healthcare operations use cases will be incredible uh, for, for anybody who's connected to TEFCA. Now the way that the RCE, the recognized coordinating entity, has been approaching this is to, within each of these new purposes of use as they come on, looking at some of the sub-categories that fit under that purpose of use. So for payment, the first one that's being proposed and it's out today 
this is, is, was published by the RCE as, as a standard operating procedure, right? That's what they're calling them, an SOP. Yep. Uh, and it's open for public input uh, for the next uh, 10 days, I think. Yeah, we, we, we established it was May 2nd, yeah. I think, was, was the date. And, and I actually would encourage folks to go to the rce.sequoiaproject.org website or just Google RCE Sequoia Project uh, and, and find those SOPs for public comment. Take a look at them. They're actually, they're very readable. They're six it's, pages They're nowhere near like an NPRM out of HHS. Uh, they're, they're actually readable and digestible and, and you can, can read them and provide comment on them pretty, pretty easily. So, so the first sub-use case under payment is going to be for risk adjustment. Right, and basically, as I'm understanding it, and you can help clarify my thinking, is that this is primarily for payers to request data from providers to be able to do their risk adjustment. That's that's my understanding as well. Um, I, I actually don't know enough about the use case to know if it, how much it might go the other direction. Uh, but my assumption is that that's primarily uh, payers accessing from well, providers. I, I heard from a bunch of payer attorneys in a meeting this week that it was only for them. To, it's only one one direction. I thought it was going to be bi-directional. So uh, maybe I'll, we'll put in our public comments asking for clarification on that. In fact, I think well. I did that already. Um, <laughs> But uh, so that's so that's where we're so obviously payment is going to involve all kinds of data exchange uh, related to you know claims adjudication you know you you name it uh, but that's that's where payment starts so when we say payment this is just the very beginning for healthcare operations um, and did we get another slide on this I don't think so uh, the the the, um, the the healthcare operations sub use case is uh, has been defined uh, as con conducting quality assessment and improvement activities, including outcomes evaluation, development of clinical guidelines, provided that the obtaining of generalizable knowledge is not the primary purpose of any studies resulting from such activities. Well, and, and to, to put that into plain English, I think the label on that is care coordination, right? Uh, well, care coordination is part of that, but that, but no, no, care coordination is just a sub piece of of this sub part of the HIPAA definition of care coordination of healthcare operations. Well, oh, oh well, well, certainly, and and uh, I, I also think that there's a, an interest in focusing specifically on prior authorization uh, as as a workflow under that uh, uh, umbrella as well. But but yeah, so the sub label here is quality assessment patient safety, population-based activities, and care coordination. So those all fit under that, that proposed SOP for healthcare operations. So if you're looking for things to provide feedback on in public comment, uh, some better clarification on that very ambiguous wording might be something you could suggest to the RCE. So. <laughs> We are all looking forward to payment and healthcare operations, these limited implementations becoming part of TEFCA. The way these have been proposed, again, when you go to, to read them uh, to provide comment, is that initially responses to these queries would be optional, uh, whereas the responses to the treatment and the individual access service queries will be required for anyone who's participating in TEFCA exchange. These will be optional until such time that TEFCA evolves the common agreement and the QHIN technical framework to support fire-based exchange. And then the proposal is that once we can exchange fire 
on the TEFCA ecosystem that then responses to these will become required. Yeah, and, and actually I want to talk about that in the context specifically of the Health Gorilla customer experience because I, I think there's, there's a mistaken impression in the industry in general that the way in which QHINs exchange with one another between their gateways is how everyone must exchange the information across the ecosystem. And in reality, the only thing that is specified by the, the QHEN technical framework uh, that, that is the underlying technical structure for uh, TEFCA participation is how QHENs participate with one another. Um, so as Health Gorilla is actually going out from our uh, future QHEN into other future QHENs, we must follow these transactions, which are SOAP-based IHE transactions for those who, who know and care. They are, uh, you know, reasonably considered a, an older technology, which doesn't mean they don't work, uh, but th those are, are the way that we will need to communicate with other QHENs. That does not mean that you need to communicate with us via the IHE, XCPD, and XEA profiles, nor do you even have to have the slightest idea what that means. Uh, you, you will communicate with us via our Fire APIs, uh, other you know, APIs as, as relevant and appropriate, but generally most of our customers use Fire APIs. So as a Health Gorilla customer, you will be using Fire from day one. Uh, the fact that we are, are then converting that into different formats and communicating in different ways is sort of behind the veil, and, and really you don't need to worry about it. So th this notion that, that TEFCA will not involve fire-based exchange I think is actually deeply flawed. Uh, there will be a lot of fire-based exchange that is occurring, it's just that, that sort of really deep architectural step between the QHINs that is very hidden in, in a lot of ways from, from the, the, the rest of the ecosystem that, that is going to involve uh, non-fire uh, uh, transactions. I think that's a really helpful clarification. There, there, there is some confusion in the industry about the role of fire in, uh, in TEFCA-based exchange. So after the uh, payment and the healthcare operations come on board, the next anticipated purposes of use that will come on with TEFCA are going to be government benefits determination and public health, uh, both, both very important for society. Uh, government ben benefits determination is already happening today with the SSA. There's been a lot of work done under, uh, over a number of years so that when you apply for SSA benefits, uh, that can be automated um, only uh, some of the EHR vendors have, have engaged in that in terms of making their data available for query for that purpose of use, uh, but it has uh, extended progressively year by year, and I think that and other government benefits, I know the VA has quite a, a benefits framework with a lot of applications. I understand they're very enthusiastic about bringing that on, uh, and there will be others as well. Probably, I think both federal and state government benefits. I, I think that's true, and, and I don't want to go down a, a deep rabbit hole about the SSA use case, but it's, it's one that I've been a believer in, in a, for a very long time, and there, there are a number of just general societal benefits to it. There are taxpayer benefits because we're saving the Social Security Administration an awful lot of, of, of grief and inefficiency. Uh, but there also is a direct revenue stream associated with it for the organizations that are responding to these queries. The SSA actually pays, uh, is it $16 or something like that, for, for each of these electronic transactions. And obviously, 
you know, it, it, it you that, that can add up over time if you have sufficient volume uh, to be a, a non-trivial thing. They actually did a study uh, where they they looked at the overall impact, and and at least the the, the providers where they've done this discovered that uh, while that revenue was great, the, the the largest financial benefit actually came from a reduction in uncompensated care because patients were getting access sooner to their disability benefits and basically were able to have coverage uh, for the care that they were going to be receiving anyway. Disability benefits and Medicaid as well. Right? Yes. So, yeah. so being so, able to pay for their care, as you say. Yeah, so geeking out a little bit about the SSA use case, but but so that that is something that that will be coming as well. Um, circling back around, I think you know from from the the standpoint of of the Health Gorilla customer experience and product. Uh, uh, to to reiterate, the the patient access uh, use case coming very early on. Uh, we will be both a, a, a responder, as is required, but also will support initiation, uh, which is not necessarily something that all of the other QHENs uh, or, or candidate QHENs are planning to support in the beginning. Um, so that's, that's an interesting uh, point to keep in mind. Uh, around payment and operations, those are, again, very broadly defined, and actually that ambiguous bullet point that Stephen was reading is only one of several bullet points on, on how that's actually defined in, in the rule. Uh, and, and so there's there's obviously a lot of different use cases there, and that's exactly why the RCE is is trying to limit, you know, with, with varying degrees of success, I suppose, based on that wording, uh, exactly what that initial scope is. Um, and then uh, we started talking about public health. Yes. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking for a second and turn it back over to you. Well, so, so public health, of course, very important opportunity to improve the efficiency of data exchange, especially between providers and public health, but also bringing other uh, participants into that discussion. Payers have information to contribute to public health efforts, and frankly, I'd love to see patients more engaged with public health data exchange in particular. So there's been a lot of active discussion this week with a number of folks about you know, how they might initially scope the public health purpose of use. What we're seeing you know, beyond treatment and, and individual access is this, this attempt to find a part of each of these purposes of use to be the initial exchange, uh, initial being while we are relying primarily on document-based exchange between the QHINs. Um, and then this thought that once the QHIN to QHIN exchange moves on to fire, that we're going to be able to get much more granular and, and be more effective in these exchange purposes. So, so we're looking at the various exchange purposes under public health, working with the CDC, the, the local, state, and territorial uh, public health agencies, really trying to understand where that opportunity is to move public health exchange forward under TEFCA. And, and looking at it in terms of, uh, of again, the, the, the direct impact and benefits for, for Health Gorilla customers, if you are a, a provider organization or a, a technology vendor that serves provider organizations who need to report to public health, um, we are envisioning that, that there will be a move for public health to standardize around using the TEFCA ecosystem as a way to uh, facilitate those transactions. Uh, a lot of times, in, I think because of the, the care equality framework uh, and its, its sort of parallels around the, the, the health exchange and the Commonwealth Alliance, 
and the fact that they're largely query-based, we tend to think of Tefka in the same way, but Tefka actually does have a push-based paradigm as well uh, that is part of its technology stack. And in particular, we think that's going to be used to facilitate public health reporting. Uh, you know, this isn't going to happen day one, but, but I, I do anticipate a future where the um, uh, state... And, and local and, and uh, assorted other public health agencies are actually connected via a QHAN, uh, where that QHAN can be the central hub of receiving all of the transactions that folks need to report on for public health. Uh, and so it becomes much easier for you uh, as someone who needs to engage in that reporting to, to actually do so. Again, not, not coming day one, but, but that's something to keep in mind as, as we move forward. And if you want to anticipate where public health is likely to start under TEFCA, I, I would look initially at electronic case reporting because this is something that really has been automated over the existing exchange framework. Uh, we see this happening today. Uh, again, limited uptake by the various EHR vendors, uh, but that was also called out in the NPRM that came out of ONC last week, where more specification of the technical standards that are going to be supporting electronic case reporting. So it, if I were a betting man, I would put my money on ECR as, as one of the early TEFCA use cases under public health. That I, I think that's right. So just being being mindful of the time, and we did start a little bit late, so we don't need to, to worry so much about 11 o'clock. However, uh, just making sure that we, we, we hit on a couple of key summary points uh, in terms of the actual benefits and, and practical impact of, of the Tefka ecosystem. And one that we haven't really talked about is the higher privacy and security bar that is in place for, for Tefka. Uh, it is... A, a, a very important point to raise. And as you think about the impact to your organization, obviously there, there is going to be a transition period where Tefka is ramping up. Uh, you know, we will largely make this invisible to you in terms of, of, in some ways, treating Tefka as just another data source, not to minimize it, it's an important data source, but just another data source that you are, are able to access via our, our standard APIs. You won't have to do anything special or different necessarily from a technical standpoint. There are some additional policy and contractual things you'll, you'll need to consider. Um, but there is that, that higher privacy and security bar that you'll, you'll be getting. And, and I think what that means is you can have some trust yourself in the fact that in the worst case, if something happens, you are at least participating in the gold standard best network with a government stamp of approval on it. Whereas if you're not participating in that, you might still be engaging in some of these activities and something goes wrong. The immediate first question that's going to be asked is, well, why the heck weren't you doing this through this gold standard, higher bar privacy and security uh, framework? So I do think that that's something to keep in mind as you think about the timing for when you, you jump into the Tefka ecosystem. Um, and then the other that we have touched on a little bit that goes beyond the additional purposes is just that government uh, incentivization slash requirements uh, that I do think, uh, I agree with Stephen, that we'll ultimately get to an, an effective requirement. I don't know if they will ever literally say in regulation, thou shalt uh, participate in TEFCA or be fined. I think what it'll, be, it'll actually be is that the incentives will be so compelling that it'll be the, the effective equivalent of, of a requirement. And one other thought I might, I might end on, 
where there is, again, alignment between TEFCA and other government regulations is in the area of information sharing or, or avoiding information blocking. Uh, and again, in the ONC NPRM that came out last week, there is a suggestion of a new exception uh, to information blocking, which is to say that you can, if you're exchanging via TEFCA, that, that, that is something where you can say that this is a valid way to exchange. And it, it's really the second case of government incentivization of TEFCA exchange, the first one having been under the CMS promoting interoperability rules. The other thing to say about information sharing is that uh, with the advent of the individual access services under TEFCA, that creates a real easy button for data holders to make their data available to patient query. Part of the information sharing requirements is to do that. Patients have the right to ask for all of their electronic health information from covered actors, which include all providers, uh, the developers of certified health IT, as well as health information networks and exchanges. So many Health Gorilla customers, in fact, most Health Gorilla customers are providers. Uh, whether you're a laboratory, a pharmacy, a clinical office, a hospital, et cetera, you're, you're a provider and you therefore have these obligations under these ONC rules to share information and make it readily available to patients upon request. So if you can do that by responding to an IAS query under TEFCA, you've, you've met your obligation. Indeed, and I, I'm, I'm starting to get the red signs that we're, we're up on time, but I do want to give just a quick opportunity. I know it, it can be a little daunting in this sort of setting to ask a question, but if anyone does have a question, uh, we're happy to, to take some time for Q&A. You mentioned information blocking. I don't understand that. Can oh, there's a, there's a lot of laws and rules about that. Yeah. If you just look up information blocking ONC, you can get to a library of information on that. It's illegal, information blocking. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it stemmed from 21st Century Cures, yeah, right? It was exactly. one, one, of the, one of the components there uh, was this notion that you, you could not be a, a, an information blocker. And then what they did was they created exceptions that indicate, okay, in these cases, well, then it's okay. Uh, and, and so it was a really interesting mindset that they, they took when defining it. And, and to Stephen's point, one of the, the exceptions that, that they're now proposing, uh, it's out, out for public comment, is um, a, a consideration around TEFCA participation, that if you're participating in TEFCA, it's not, not quite a safe harbor, uh, but it, it gives you some, some wiggle room with respect to meeting those information blocking uh, requirements. Well, that's a wrap. Thank all right. you all for Thank coming. Thank you so much.